So I thought I should introduce these two fabulous people that have been here this morning. Um, we have had the honor of having both Tyler and Vanessa uh, joining us from Northwest. Um, and as you can obviously see, they are uh, fabulous worship leaders and, and uh, come with a whole background of um, loving the Lord and, and leading us this morning. I am going to read a little bit of Vanessa's bio before I introduce uh, Tyler. Um, Vanessa has been part of Northwest since she was three years old. This is somebody who has grown up in that fabulous church up there. Um, she's currently studying at the Sioux Falls Seminary under the Kairos Project and will be working part-time and is working part-time at Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Association. One busy lady. She serves Northwest on the leadership team in addition to being an apprentice and together with Tyler, they are the worship coordinators and youth leaders. Um, Vanessa shares that she's passionate about the Lord, missions, music, and art. We can see that. Uh, Tyler has been part of Northwest since he moved to Calgary in 2020. He's been an apprentice a lot as, as long, along with Vanessa since uh, November 21. And his responsibilities at the church include volunteer coordinator, youth, leader, youth leadership, and worship coordination. And his great passions, uh, one of his great passions is music. And he, uh, since being saved, has been blessed by having many opportunities to serve in worship at lots of churches and venues. And he brings his faith and music uh, with his other passions of cooking, hiking, and video games, um, as well, um, Vanessa and Tyler will be welcoming a new little person in August. Mm. So that's uh, such a blessing. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, we, Lord, we just want to lift up this, this beautiful Dobson family, this beautiful couple. May you continue to bless them, lead their steps and their ways. And we are so thankful that you uh, brought them to us this morning. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Jocelyn. All right. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to share a little more about myself that wasn't in the bio. Like uh, we talked about the, uh, I'm just going to get this like over here because it feels like it's right in my face. Um, and I'm just pulling up my notes. So um, I mentioned in there that I've done a lot of worship. I've been doing worship for about 10 years. I think it'll be 10 years sometime around the beginning of July, like July. No, no, it's about, about now, about this time, about 10 years. Um, that's kind of how I got saved. I grew up in the South, and you might know that the South is like, it's the Bible Belt, like everybody's near a church. Like you walk five minutes down the road, there's a church, another five minutes, there's another one. You have all kinds of different churches around there. But I wasn't really a, I wasn't really a Christian, if that makes sense. I didn't make a decision for the Lord until I turned 16. And 
<clears throat> I was really obsessed with music for a couple of years by then. I was trying to play percussion. I was trying to play bass. I was singing. I was doing everything that anybody would let me try to do in school. And my best friend was like, hey, do you want to come play with our youth worship band? Because all the other kids in the worship band are going to go off to college, and then we're not going to have a worship band. So we're trying to replace them. So why don't you, why don't you come and play? And I don't think he realized I wasn't a Christian yet, but I was like, they're saying I can play bass. So I'm going to go play bass at this church. They seem fine with it. And through that, that that's where I that's where I got to see real Christians. That's where I got to really know God. And I realized that was the big thing in my life, like the big hole in my heart that I was missing. So that's that's where my my testimony starts. I reckon um, music ends up being a pretty big part of of my of my testimony. And one thing that I think about a lot. This is kind of part of how I came to the uh, the message that you see up there is the um, the issue of pride. You've got a lot of musicians that get very like, how do I say? You've got you've got like two kinds of musicians. Well, you've got three kinds of musicians. You've got people that are just starting and they don't think they're very good. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell them they're good at what they do and they're, they're making progress and all that. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them that. They're going to say, oh, no, I'm not good enough to do that. Oh, no, I can't go up there and lead worship. I, I just started. It doesn't matter who says it, how many times you say it, and they're over here. You can't convince them. You've got people that have been doing it for some amount of time, and they think they're just hot stuff, and they think they're amazing at guitar, and they'll they'll pull out like their fancy little solos, and they'll play Freebird or whatever it is, and they just think they're amazing, right? And it does not matter how many times you tell them they're playing in the wrong key, they really need to tune their guitar. It doesn't matter what you tell them, they won't listen to you. And then you've got the people in the middle who who know their strengths and their weaknesses. Yeah, I'm really good at rhythm i'm kind of lacking in uh, learning lead lines whatever whatever that may be um i have a really good ear but i don't necessarily have the greatest tone you've got people that are kind of honest with themselves and that's kind of so this this is an obvious pride over here where people are like i'm just hot stuff i'm amazing but i don't think we always think of the other end over here as being pride the people that no matter what you tell them they will not hear it and it doesn't matter where it comes from the kind of pride I'm talking about, one definition that I've heard of, heard of that kind of guides my thinking with it is that pride can be defined as elevating one's opinions and thoughts above God and above his opinions and thoughts. And if we take that from, if we take that from up here with God and down here to, to earth, it'd be like, like your, your, your kid who's saying, I can go jump off of this roof and I'll be fine and I won't break my legs. And the parent's saying, no, you can't jump off the roof. You will not be fine. And the kid's like, no, you're wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the kind of we have one person that knows better. We have one person that just doesn't have the experience and doesn't know, and they won't listen to the other person. So this, this over here, where we're doubting our abilities and doubting the words of other people who maybe have more experience, maybe are wiser, maybe have a better perspective, and we doubt their kind of words. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles or on your apps, whatever it is that you have, we're going to be, we're going to start in Exodus 4. Um, and I've got three kinds of pride that I want to talk about. There's one that we're going to spend more on, and it's, we're going to spend a lot of time with Moses when he's speaking to God in the burning bush. And the kind of pride that he exhibits there is kind of a pride of self-doubt, is how I would say it. There's probably better ways to say it, but that's how I would, I would say it, is a pride of self-doubt. Despite the things that God is telling him, he's just not listening. He just doesn't believe it. And then we'll eventually go on. We'll look at Pharaoh 
and how he has kind of a pride of power, how he's in a position of power, he thinks he knows everything, is unwilling to listen to the word of God. And then we'll eventually get to the Red Sea and when Israel is, when Israel has kind of the Pharaoh's army at their back and the sea in front of them and they've lost all hope. And it doesn't matter how many miracles God performed to get them there, they still think there's no hope and they still think this is the end of the line and this is where, this is where we tap out. So if you're at Exodus 4, so a little bit of uh, context for those who may not, um, who may not have this in their, in their recent memory. Um, so, so this is, so in the chapter before is when God calls Moses' attention through the burning bush and begins to speak to him and begins to say that, I will, I will use you to bring my people uh, out of Egypt into the promised land. You will speak before Pharaoh, you will speak before the nation of Israel, and you will declare my name. And Moses is having a hard time believing, believing any of those. So that's where we're going to start. So Exodus 4, starting at verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So Moses is doubting that anybody's going to listen to anything that he says. Um, because that's, that's a reasonable thing to doubt, right? If, if I, I, I doubt that anybody would believe me if I said that God spoke to me through a burning bush. That's a reasonable thing to doubt. So the Lord gives him some things to help him along with that. And verse 2 says, The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So Moses has some doubts. He's not sure anybody's going to believe him on this. So God's like, okay, I'm going to give you immediately and show you these right here two supernatural miraculous things that could not possibly just be you everybody will recognize okay that's definitely from the lord and if neither of those work i have a third thing that you can do but i don't think we're going to have to get that far and despite that despite that evidence that moses has just been been presented with he still has doubts and he's still insisting on doubting in verse 10 says but moses said to the lord O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. So Moses, instead of focusing on the miraculous things that God has just presented him with and mounting evidence that God knows what he's talking about, Moses is focused on his own lack of ability and his own, he's, he's focusing on himself and he's not fixing his eyes on what God has just shown him. Uh, an example in my life would be I'm not a speaker. This is not my normal. This is not my normal gig. Um, preaching is not. I've done it a couple times, but it's not the normal thing that I do. And 
it's reasonable to have some doubts when you're presented with something that you don't usually do and you're being asked to do it. Um, maybe you've started a new, a new job and you feel like, I don't really know what I'm doing with this job. I don't think I'm cut out for this position. We all, we all know that feeling. So the Lord responds and says to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. And it goes on, and eventually um, God gets mad and says, okay, what about Aaron? We'll get, we'll get someone else to speak for you. By the way, a fun, fun thing that I noticed as I was going through Exodus, you'll realize that eventually it stops saying that Aaron spoke to Pharaoh in the nation of Israel, and eventually it just starts saying Moses spoke to Pharaoh in the nation of Israel. So God ends up getting his way in the end, you know, kind of in a subtle way. But... I just, I just wanted to, I wanted to dwell on that. Like, imagine we were in Moses's shoes, like, or lack of shoes because he just took his shoes off because he's on holy ground. But imagine you're in his, his position. God is literally speaking to you through a burning bush. He's just shown you two miracles, and we're hung up on our own shortcomings. We're hung up on our own thing. That's kind of the pride that I was talking about over here with people doubting their abilities and they're fixing they're fixating their eyes on themselves i get people all the time um since i since i've been doing worship for a while i've had opportunities to teach people it's main, mainly young people and a lot of them are in that mentality of oh i'm just not i'm not ready for it i don't know how to do it uh, i've taught music for a while and I, I i promise you'll have this experience with me or you probably won't if you're bad i will tell you I promise. I know what bad looks like at this point. Very few people are as bad as they think they are. And it doesn't matter how long I've been teaching. It's probably been six years, seven years that I've actually been teaching music. It, and it doesn't matter the ability that they see in me. There's some part that always is focused on, on that. And I wonder if we could dwell on what, what areas are we doubting that what God is saying is true? What areas are we doubting that what God is saying is right? This, this, is, an, this is an area of, of self-doubt, like doubting God's ability to work, doubting God's ability to say if we're praying for a loved one, we're asking God, please bring this person's heart back. And we're doubting his ability to actually do that just because it's not, it's not showing up on our timeline. It's not something we're seeing right now. Maybe it takes 10 years. Maybe it takes 20 years. And we're doubting that it's ever going to actually come to fruition. Next, we're going to move on to Pharaoh. And if you would like, well, I'm just going to briefly read a verse to you later. Um, so we go on to Pharaoh. The, Moses is saying, let my people go. And is approaching Pharaoh saying, God wants to bring his people out of Egypt. Um, I'm giving you a chance to let them go without any pain. Um, and Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Which is probably not an unreasonable reaction from somebody who doesn't know the Lord and has no reason to believe that he's even real. That's, that's a reasonable reaction from Pharaoh's uh, perspective, I think. But as we know, um, could you turn to the, the next slide? It's got the list of the ten plagues on it. Thanks. As we know from from you know, from hindsight, eventually God performs all of these uh, different plagues, and 
like apocalyptic level, pretty serious stuff that has to come from God. And it takes, it takes until the 10th one before Pharaoh finally says, okay, fine, the people of Israel can go. You can have them. He's very, very stubborn. And we, and we also know that, that God was hardening Pharaoh's heart because he, he was doing this to display his glory. We know that perspective. But I think, we can, I think sometimes we're maybe not quite as stubborn as Pharaoh, but not, not too far off. Maybe we think that, maybe we, maybe we read verses like where Jesus is advising us, you know, not to hold anger against your brother or sister. Maybe, maybe we read things like that, where Jesus is calling out sin and saying, this is a sinful behavior and pattern, and this is going to hurt you. And we just, somewhere in our, in our hearts, we're, we're thinking, not me, I'm, I'm fine. I'll be okay. That sin's a problem for other people. Anger, anger is the one I focus on because that's the one I struggle with the most, I would say. Although hopefully that doesn't show up <laughs> normally. But, but like say, we might, we might think that anger is a problem for other people. It destroys other people. But my anger is justified. My anger is fine. It's not a problem that I'm road raging all the time. It's not a problem that I'm just endlessly complaining about people behind their backs. None of that's a problem on my end. It's a problem for other people and not being honest and self-reflective. I want to also, once again, ask us to put ourselves in the position of Pharaoh and look at the list of plagues and say, which one occurring would probably make you think, okay, God's real, you guys can go. Just like, think about that in your mind. Which of these would be like your, your end point? Your, okay, I was wrong, you were right, you can you you guys can go just think about that for a second i'm going to read from exodus 7 about verses 20 through 22 because that's the one where uh god turns the river into blood and i think that's where i would tap out i think that's where my confidence would go <laughs> and it's it's amazing that it has to go any further than that but that's where my confidence would go i think so let's read through that Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the river stank, so the Egyptians could not drink from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. This is not the PG version of the Bible. (laughs) Um, So that's amazing. How could Pharaoh see that and just say, just stick, just hold to his opinion? How could he see that? Well, you see in the next verse, in verse 22, that he saw an earthly example of something similar happening. And if, you, and if you've seen the, uh, what is it, the Prince of Egypt movie that kind of, that has a scene of this where Moses turns the river into blood and then the magicians like have a little bowl of water and they do some kind of little trick and they have a little bowl of blood now. That's, that's how I imagine, I don't know that that's actually how this went down, but I do kind of imagine that's how it went down. I'll read the verse then. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh looks at a real-life example and, sa- and ignores the miracle that's happened. He doesn't want to believe in the miraculous thing despite mounting evidence, and he instead focuses on, oh, this can be reproduced, that sort of thing. Do we kind of have that opinion? And do we kind of do we get fixated on our own earthly knowledge too often? 
do we think to ourselves i you know i think it i think it gets a little little more difficult with age um not that i would really know that i guess i'm like 26 but i i do i do think i'm getting more stuck in my opinions especially when it comes to music that this is how things are done this is this is the right way to do it there is no other way to do it um do we get do we get hung up on that and do we start to get inflexible and do we start to get stubborn and not present ourselves to jesus and ask how can how can this be done more like your way how can this be how can this be advanced in your kingdom and then we go on to the red sea so all these plagues happen um eventually the plague on egypt's firstborns happens and we know that um in the night the uh well i don't remember what he's called the destroyer takes the firstborn of every family in egypt and pharaoh finally says in exodus 12:31, up leave my people you and the israelites go worship the lord as you have requested so israel packs up their bags um, they plunder the egyptians in the way that god had previously said that they would leave with gold and silver and food as they as they exited egypt um, and then god hardens pharaoh's heart again he changes his mind and in exodus 14 verse 5 it says here when the king of egypt was told that the people had fled pharaoh and his, pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said what have we done we have let the israelites go and have lost their services so then they assemble an army they chase after israel and this eventually culminates in them being at at the waterfront of the red sea an entire army behind them an entire ocean in front of them a seemingly hopeless situation and suddenly it becomes irrelevant how many miracles and how many plagues and everything that they've seen all of that just kind of goes it just kind of goes out the window and they start saying we should go back to egypt we should just surrender we we had food we had houses we had we had security we should just go back to egypt this is not going to work out moses is the only person in there sorry <clears throat> A little something in my throat. Moses is the only person there that believes that God is going to continue to do what he has already proven that he's capable of. And I think I think we get stuck in that as well, too. Like, I mean, life is full of tragedies, right? We lose loved ones. We see people get hurt. We see our countries in turmoil. And we get fixated on the current condition. We get fixated on the current earthly condition and it becomes hard for us to fix our eyes on God and to remember that he's capable of redeeming this. And it might not happen in our timeline, but he is capable of redeeming it. So Moses, Moses believes in the Lord, and God tells him, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So Moses does as he asks. He raises his hand, takes his staff, the Red Sea parts. Israel walks on dry ground. Egypt's entire army is following behind them. Their wheels are getting stuck in random places. Their horses are acting up. God's just messing with the entire army and slowing them down so that Israel can get across the sea and get to dry ground. And then God tells Moses to close the waters, and they close over Egypt, and Israel is saved. And we have, we have that perspective, and we might wonder, you know, why, why did they ever doubt? We, we have the hindsight, we have the, the, the bigger picture, and we, we know why they shouldn't have doubted. But 
I wonder if we have any kind of, I wonder if we have any kind of examples from our own lives. And I'll give a bit of a, a bit of a personal example that I hadn't planned on sharing. So if I cry, sorry about that. <laughs> so I grew up in, my, my mother was a really devout Christian and still is. My, my dad wasn't really, he, I mean, he had some inkling, I guess you could say, but he, he, it wasn't a very important part of his life. He, you would only see him in church on Easter Sunday, um, maybe Christmas Eve. Um, and I remember when I, when I became a Christian, I started praying for him because he was, he was a very angry man when I was growing up, very angry, struggled with that a lot. And he knew that he had a problem with it, and he fought his hardest to, to improve, but he was trying to do it in his own strength, right? He fought his hardest to improve, and it, it just, sometimes it was better, sometimes it was worse. You know, he was, doing, he was doing his best. And I remember praying for his salvation, and a bit of a, a tragic thing happened. This would have been seven years ago. I believe it would have been 2016. Um, he, had a, he had a pretty bad stroke. And we believe it started out as a minor stroke, but it was, it was like a, it probably happened while he was at work Friday night. And then it went on through the evening. Um, he went hunting the next day. It was Saturday morning. He put up his tree stand and apparently he passed out. He says he passed out while he was there and then woke up. He was tied to the tree stand, so he didn't fall out and hurt himself or anything. Um, but keep in mind, he had a stroke the evening before and he's, he doesn't realize that and he's still operating takes his tree stand down, goes home, and the next day still hasn't said anything to us, still doesn't realize that anything is wrong. And the Monday Monday evening, he worked nights at the time, um, It's he's usually leaving the house around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's about 4.30, and I notice that he's still sleeping on the couch. So I just go to wake him up and be like, hey, Dad, are you, uh, you, know, are you sick? What's going on? And we realized that something was wrong and that he had a stroke. And so I, I watched the strongest figure in my life for all, for all of his issues. He was the strongest man that I knew in my life. And for the next probably two months, um, as he was in the hospital and he was going through rehab and he was trying to learn just to walk again, I, I watched him go from this strong, tall man to, I mean, he, he seemed like a shell of himself. And you just wouldn't know that anymore. He he still can't he he still needs a walker to walk he still needs a a, a wheelchair to get some places I would actually love to show y'all uh, come ask me after after the message but he's got like this this really cool wheelchair it costs as much as a car but it's like it's got treads and it like helps him stand up he's got a little attachment for his fishing pole he's he's figured life out again after that tragedy and he'll be the first one to bring up the Lord's goodness in a conversation. It'd be the first one when we're talking. It used to be me. I used to have to try and find a way to, to I guess, preach to him. I, I don't have to do that anymore. He's the first one to praise God, whatever we're talking about. And I just, we went from a place of hopelessness, of him struggling in his own, in his own flesh, and him struggling with his, his own self, and me praying for him for years, to a place where he's stronger now than he ever was when he had his whole body at his disposal. He is spiritually stronger, mentally and emotionally stronger than he ever was before. And it's, it's a miracle, and it's an answered prayer, and it took a lot longer than I wished it would have. <laughs> I would have liked for it to happen the day that I started praying for it, and I'd lost some hope in 
some of those years because I've probably been praying for him for about 10 years. I lost some hope during some of those points. And it's amazing to see where he's at right now. So how do we keep hope when we're, when we're going through that? How do, we, how do we fix our eyes on the Lord and remember the promises that he's made? How, how do we remember that Jesus has promised that you are redeemed and that you are saved? Um, promises like you will speak before kings and I will give you the words to say. Promises that he will equip us for the work that he's calling us to. How do we remember that? How do we fix our eyes on that? I think that's why it's so important for us to, to be in the word. Because this is, this is just a giant book of amazing things that God has done and God will do. And it's a constant reminder of how powerful he is. I think that's why it's important that we, that we worship. Worship is not just, a, it's, it's not just something that we feel good about. It's a spiritual discipline where we, regardless of the situation around us, we stand our ground and we fix our eyes on the goodness of God, regardless of what it is that is surrounding us. There's a lot of times when I come up here and I just, I don't really feel like worshiping. And then you start and that feeling comes. Like that, that disciplinary act of I'm going to worship regardless of how I feel like, that brings something out of us. That focusing on the Lord, that brings us into a better place. And it's important for us to remember that God knows better than us. It's important to, to say that to ourselves, that God knows better than us, and to fix, our, to fix our eyes in the word and to walk with him in that, that he does answer our prayers regardless of how long it takes. I've kind of started ranting. I've kind of, <laughs> kind of gone off. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my encouragement to us, I think, for this week, is that Remember that God does know better than us, and that's a good thing. We don't want to be the one that knows everything. If I know everything there is, then if, if I already know everything there is, life's going to be a little boring for the next, hopefully, 60, 70 years that I'm alive. Life's going to be pretty boring. We want God to know better than us, and we want God to have a better way forward than us. Um, yeah. That's my message, I guess. So I'm just going to, I don't know if we do anything after this, but I'm just going to pray for all of us um, and pray for, for us throughout our week. And I think it would be good for us to fix in our mind, if there's somebody that you've been praying for, somebody that you know is, is lost and struggling, we talked about that a little bit in our prayers, I'd like you to fix them in your mind and pray that they would know the comfort that God knows better than them, that God knows better than us. So let's bow our heads and let's pray for that. Lord, thank you for giving us this place that we can gather, this safe place that we as brothers and sisters in Christ can support each other. Thank you for being a God that knows better. Thank you for being an all-knowing, all-powerful creator. And thank you for choosing to love us regardless of anything, by, by, no, by no qualification of anything we did. Just by existing, you looked at us and you said that you loved us. You knew everything that we would do throughout our lives, all the possibilities, and you said that we are worth your love. And today we want to fix our eyes on, on you, and we want to fix our eyes on somebody that we want to know you better. And we lift them up, Lord, and we ask that you would, that you would reveal to them who you are and just how good you are that you would be working in their heart and in their mind and in their spirit um, 
because that's we want everybody around us to know the joy and the fullness of life that you provide, Lord. We thank you for being God that answers prayers, and we trust you to, to bring that individual to you, not in our time, but in the time that is right to you. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.